This is the Coming Out Loved and Supported Podcast, the group for the LGBTQ plus community and family of LGBTQ plus wanting to learn more and do better. I am your host, Annie Henderson. I'm a certified professional life coach and also a member of the LGBTQ plus community. We are so glad you're here. Please like and subscribe. And if you know anyone that is needing support as they are going through their journey, please share because I honestly believe by doing so, we can save lives. Hello, this is Annie Henderson, your coming out coach on the Coming Out Loved and Supported podcast. Thanks for being here for this episode with Margarita Hosh. <laughs> Margarita. <laughs> Margarita, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for your time and all of the wisdom. Like, I'm just amazed every time I, I talk to you. Thank you so much. I am beyond honored and totally, I was a nervous wreck this morning uh, because I was just so excited to have this conversation with you. And I think you are such a incredible powerhouse of information, knowledge, and what is needed in, in, in the world today. Folks with your resources and your people skills and your passion for improving the world around you, especially the community of the LGBTQ folks, I think it's... I, 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 I'm just marveled. At the thank, you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's not usually how this starts, but <laughs> it's my turn to gush about you. Okay. Thank you for that. That was very kind. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about Margarita. She is a healthcare industry implementation consultant who helps healthcare professionals design a modern patient experience to decrease cost. Eliminate administrative burnout, whew, especially after the year we've had, and improve healthcare for everyone. Her experience ranges from overlooking medical billing revenue cycle, managing contractual efforts for the largest OBGYN in the country, to piloting a pediatric nonprofit rehab. The work gave her a profound insight on what clinicians want and need to do the work they love and how it impacts patients. In 2020, she launched programs that teach clinicians how to navigate health payer language, regulatory compliance standards, licensing portability, reciprocity, basic requirements, and principles of revenue cycle management. Woo! That's, you're amazing, Margarita. You're amazing. <laughs> and that last bit was a mouthful. Can you translate a little bit of that for the, the people like me that are not in the healthcare world? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's my privilege um, and honor to do that. So we know that the healthcare system just happens to be a little bit too top heavy, a little bit too <laughs> expensive, and maybe just a tad um overutilized in terms of it basically being so large that it collapses on itself. And the challenge is that providers, when we say providers, we mean uh, those folks that actually provide healthcare. So they could be nurses, doctors, therapists, hospitals, um, clinics, they could be entities in terms of organizations, or they could be human beings (laughs) that are therapists and doctors. So the challenge that we have with uh, providers is that when they try to actually do their daily tasks, there's so much administrative things that get in the way 
of them doing the things that they love. You know, so the challenge is that our healthcare system, it's not that it's great for just one type of an entity or a person, and it's horrible for others. There's room for improvement across all facets. So when I launch those programs, it's to help providers actually understand how to use some of the tools at their disposal so they don't have to actually make a huge investment and see workarounds, how to improve it. There's something called an electronic medical record system, an electronic healthcare record system, EMR, EHR. Honestly, they're essentially the same thing. And um, a lot of times when we would come in and we would just try to help providers understand how to navigate it, they didn't know some of the things that they could have done with it or how they could leverage it to help with the patient streamlined experience. Something as simple as just turning something on that will allow the patient to use their phone to schedule appointments. Yes, we all love our phone these days. (laughs) It's attached to us. (laughs) My 99-year-old grandma was on Facebook. (laughs) So that should tell you. We all have our cell phones. Annie, you would be surprised. Did you know that the biggest adoption that was um, surprisingly in terms of folks that actually like telehealth, that they anticipated that they wouldn't, would be geriatric patients? That is surprising because I would think, because I know, you know, some some of our older family members, I won't say specifically, but they they get get a little paranoid about like, what of theirs is online, especially with not older generations, not really understanding how scammy things can be and how information can be stolen. And a lot of times they will just reject and be like, okay, I don't want any part of the internet. (laughs) It's true. It's true. But I think that there's a huge opportunity um, for insurance companies to really work with both patients and with providers to help navigate this, you know, a Folks don't realize, but there are actual champions in insurance companies whose sole entire job is to help the patient understand their health insurance benefits, to help them understand what they actually have at their disposal, how to utilize their phones for actually scheduling some of those appointments, like like tips and tools, what questions to ask. These people exist, but unfortunately, I think because we have such a disconnect, there is a huge opportunity. So I just you know, really hope that we can pick and actually help each other in guiding this process and making sure that it's not so convoluted because face it, we we deserve better. We've been so much. We really deserve a much better healthcare system (laughs) than we already have. And we do, and it can be easier. It's a joint effort because it should be easier on everybody, right? We want to make sure that providers actually... Because you know what? No provider likes hearing the patient scream at them that says, you gave me a surprise medical bill and I'm going to go and sue you and I'm going to go and da, 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 da. But the thing is, nine out of 10 times, that provider has zero to do with it because they were not aware of all of the backend administration that came up, but they're going to get the brunt of it, right? Mm-hmm. So we have an opportunity to do better. And I just hope that some of the stuff we're going to talk about today is going to help us kind of get there because- it's important every day. You know, it's important. Everybody's affected by healthcare. It's just, it's just the way that it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right, Margarita. So I have a few questions for you that I think are going to make the LGBTQ uh, community and allies just breathe a little easier, knowing some of these answers and knowing that there's things that we can do. 
to make our world a little bit easier. So the first question I have for you is, how does Biden's executive order, which was the executive order on preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation, impact my and my family's health care in the LGBTQ community? Amazing question, and I love this question. So um, <clears throat> before, the short answer is that it's the most comprehensive protection that has ever been issued by a federal government uh, to actually protect the civil liberties and healthcare liberties of a population. Okay, and I do want to make sure that folks understand that the most important and of course, I always encourage everybody to go and do their research and to read it. But if you don't mind, I want to quickly read the most important two sentences. And yes, please. Perfect. So the order states that every person should be treated with respect and dignity and should be able to live without fear, no matter who they are, who they love. And then it goes on to say people should be able to access health care and secure roof over their heads without being subject to sex discrimination. So we literally have a statement inside of it that talks about the importance of being covered for healthcare services, regardless of your sexual orientation. And it goes on further to say all people, persons should receive equal treatment under the law no matter their gender identity or sexual orientation. Discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation manifests directly to different individuals, and it often overlaps with other forms of prohibited discrimination, including discrimination on the basis of disability. And by the way, Annie, I don't know if you know this, but HIV is actually covered by the American Disability Act, by the ADA, for, uh, because it is viewed as a disability. So he put into written protection everything that you, like there is no way to, to think, read this and think outside the lines. Like maybe he doesn't really mean healthcare. The word healthcare is written in it. Well, maybe he's not really talking about the LGBTQ. Well, it says that you are free to love who you like. This is simple language. And we learn that if you want to be an effective communicator, you communicate in a fourth grader language. This is fourth grader language. We could all understand what this says. Yes. So I think what this is going to do for the LGBTQ community is, number one, it is going to actually provide a kind of a safety net feeling of understanding that you are supported by your government and you are supported in your choice of who you love, where you love, how you love, it doesn't matter. And more importantly, as far as it affects healthcare, if you are going to be discriminated in your healthcare journey, whether a hospital is not going to want to do a gender reassignment surgery or a therapist is not going to want to cover you simply because they don't believe in the morality or whatever, I don't even want to display the language. (laughs) But, um, you know, you have a written protection here. And what's going to be very interesting for us to see is how this executive order is going to trickle down to state legislatures to adapt it because federally speaking, this is an executive order, you know, and it uh, dictates how we need to act and how we need to approach these conversations. So I think it just gives folks not, it's not a false sense of hope. It is a legitimate legal sense of hope because all of the languages from a healthcare policy implementation 
I read this as a healthcare policy person, as somebody who has been in healthcare for 25 years, and I see that this tells me that there is going to be a bright future for the LGBTQ community tomorrow in healthcare. So that I think is how this, the executive order will impact, uh, you know, the next four years and hopefully the rest of American history. <laughs> That's a, it's amazing. I know for me, it's just, I, I feels like a weight is off my shoulders and there's just a, a breath of fresh air that that is a, an executive order. That's amazing. Thank you for explaining that for me and, and just reading us a little bit because I, I know probably most of us have heard that this executive order existed, but we haven't actually gone in and read it. So thank you for reading that. Are you ready for another I'm, question? I am. I'm so excited. <laughs> what can we anticipate from Biden's administration on healthcare coverage for the LGBTQ community? Well, I think that's a great question. And it does kind of interlay with what we saw in the first question, right? Because we now know that healthcare services are going to be covered regardless in terms of how they are approached. Um, the different intricacies are going to be kind of like what is going to be up to the insurance company, whether or not they want to cover the gender reassignment surgery, right? But I think that the alternative is that because of this law, we will see how insurance companies are going to start reacting. And we anticipate that there will be a more favorable shift to different coverage determinations and utilization guidelines. I think the other thing that we really need to take into consideration is there's going to be a much larger focus on expansion of Medicaid coverage um, and that all Americans actually have health insurance. <clears throat> and, you know, the reason why that's really important is so number one, um, in terms of the LGBTQ community and in terms of HIV and AIDS, Annie, you know this, um, the largest population of people who have uh, HIV and AIDS are in the LGBTQ community. Now, um, the largest payer, I don't know if you know this, but do you know who the largest payer of services for, to cover HIV and AIDS in, the, in, in America, regardless of whether or not you're LGBTQ or not. I do not. That's Medicaid. Medicaid is the largest payer of healthcare for HIV and AIDS. So when we look at what can we anticipate from the Biden administration on healthcare coverage for LGBTQ community, well, we know he has been very vocal about um, making sure that we expand healthcare coverage um, and expand Medicaid, but also because HIV and AIDS happen to be covered by Medicaid, but yet we don't have, everybody is not covered by Medicaid that needs to be covered by Medicaid, there will be a focus on people meeting the requirements and a bigger push to expand Medicaid services. I have a few stats for you. Oh, yes, uh, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, as of February 2021, do you know how many states still have not expanded Medicaid um, in America? Ooh, no, how many? 12. 12 states are left in America that did not expand Medicaid. And now because you're a Floridian... I mean, sorry, I'm a former Floridian and you are a Texan. Uh, I have news for you. The, of those 12 states, Florida and Texas. <laughs> of course. Oh. They did not uh, actually expand Medicaid. Um, the Gosh. 12 states that didn't expand Medicaid are Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, North Carolina, North, South Dakota, and North Dakota, and Tennessee. Mm. So... Um, 
these are the states that didn't. But I have a little bit more statistics for you. So the reason why I think it's very important for people to really, you know, we say get out and vote. But besides that, why it's really important for people to write to their congressmen, assemblymen, and senators is understanding that according to the Texas Department of State and Healthcare Services, HIV <clears throat> and STD uh, program, <clears throat> sorry, I have a tickle in my throat. Um, they indicate that out of, do, now this was shocking, I didn't know this. Do you know what the statistics is of HIV AIDS in Texas? Ooh, no. One out of every 312 Texans have HIV or AIDS, and an estimated 16% of Texans are living with HIV but have not yet been diagnosed. Wow, 16% have not been diagnosed. That is, uh, and I will drop all of these links for you, obviously, because you know I love me with my links. And my <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that the reason why knowing these numbers, as your listeners really listen to this, the chances of knowing somebody that might have HIV and AIDS without realizing even that they know about it, this is why it's so important. I mean, there's a million reasons why it's important to expand Medicaid coverage, but if we just look at it from this perspective and the fact that Texas did not expand Medicaid, we really need to make sure that we have access to Medicaid expansion when push comes to shove and folks are going to need to be able to be covered. So I implore everybody that listens to this to write to their senators, write to their congressmen, assemblymen, and make sure that they understand, hey, look, I... I think that we need to have Medicaid expansion in our state, in Texas. And again, the states are Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, North Carolina, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Texas. Um, and I, I want to move on to a few other questions, but I did want to drop a few more statistics that are really important. So in September of 2020, we knew that there was going to actually... Side note, in March of 2020, I went on a Facebook Live in a therapy group and I, and I advised folks, be prepared to enroll into Medicaid Advantage plans, different Medicaid plans, whether you're going to be a participating Medicaid provider or a plan that manages Medicaid. So something like Molina or Sunshine or, you know, there's different kinds of um, plan insurance companies that cover just Medicaid. And the reason behind that is because as the pandemic is happening, there will be a great rise of people who lose their jobs, lose benefits, or will try to get onto benefits. That's a whole different beast, but they will be now covered with Medicaid and emergency Medicaid. So in September of 2020, Medicaid enrollment increased in America by 9.4%, which is 6.7 million people. Oh, wow. They wow. are still looking at the numbers <clears throat> right now as they're coming through and analyzing them. But this is yet another reason why the Biden administration is really going to be pushing and making sure that we can have Medicaid expansion um, so that we can essentially make sure that folks that are uninsured um, will, and have low income will be covered because then when those folks end up in the hospital rooms, that's where healthcare costs rise even more. So that's really important by byproduct for folks to understand when we have preventative care and when, regardless of the community when we have com uh, care that is covered uh, folks have a lesser chance of ending up in a hospital room 
And so that's what I think is like super important. And obviously I could talk about this for days. So I'm just going <laughs> to now and let you go to the next question because I think that, you know. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll just already give you a thank you, especially for all the stats. Cause I know, you know, some of our audience members are going to want to dig in deeper and, and share that information. I really hope they do. Yes. All right. So here's our next question and very important to uh, a lot of our audience that's listening. How do I find a provider that is LGBTQ friendly? Okay. So this is awesome. I am so happy that we live in the 21st century and 2021 for the simple fact that there are websites that you can go to to actually get this information. Um, so we'll talk about two things. We'll talk about some of the websites and things that you could do yourself without the websites. So have you ever heard of outcare.org? I don't know that one. Okay, so outcare.org is a website literally dedicated to finding an LGBTQ provider. Um, it allows providers to join an outlist and to establish themselves as an ally of the community. It's literally www.outcarehealth.org slash outlist if they want to add themselves. So if I was a therapist and I wanted to serve an LGBTQ community and I want to be known as an ally, I would go to this website and I would add myself to that list so that folks don't have to really, oh my God, is there a doctor? Is there a therapist? Pa, pa, pa. You find them right there. And it's nationwide. Wow. That is so awesome. How, hmm. So especially in places like Texas, <laughs> how often do providers and people um, actually have their services on that site? How widespread is it? You know, that's a really good question. I'll be very honest. I don't know how updated it is, but I do know that it's a resource that has come up over and over and over and over again throughout different communities that I've like had this conversation with and in different uh, groups on Facebook for mental health and physical wellness, this resource has come up over and over again. So I figured, you know, it's definitely something to share. Yes. Thank you. you. Because they could definitely go and they could search by based on location. And that's not the only one there. There's more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so another one is they could actually use the center link LGBTQ community center membership directory, which is at the lgbtcenters.org. And this isn't a, men- a healthcare center. This is a center for, you know, a community service for LGBTQ. And it's pretty much, I believe it's in every single state last I checked, if I'm not mistaken. But what's really cool about it is that you could reach out to them and say, Hey, I'm looking for an ally. I'm looking for a doctor or a therapist. I am located in XYZ city and state. What are your recommendations? And they, because of their own grassroots, this organization will tell you, hey, oh, you are in, you know, middle of nowhere, Montana, here's where you go. So <laughs> I just, I don't know. I figured I think middle of nowhere because Montana has like less than 1 million people and it's just like a giant state. And it's like, I'm imagining just ranches everywhere. <laughs> um, that's amazing. Did you, do you have more resources or is? Yes, yes, oh I do. Gosh, they just keep coming. Let's hear it. Um, so there's also LGBTQIA, um, well, not an actual website for finding the resource, but I highly, highly recommend that folks go to the LGBTQIA health 
And there they can actually, um, you know, find information on like what questions to ask when you are looking for a therapist or a doctor. So, um, you know, when you call to schedule an appointment, ask if the practice has an LGBTQ uh, patient population and, you know, feel compelled like to say which doctor has the highest experience treating this population. And then before scheduling the appointment, ask that the doctor calls you back, not the nurse, not the administrator, the doctor. And then when the doctor actually calls you, then ask them if they feel comfortable treating somebody who is whatever it is, especially if you are transgender, please ask this question. You, because remember, you keeping something like that from your physician for rightful reasons, which we completely understand, is a hindrance for your own mental and physical wellness. So you want to establish a relationship of trust. And if unfortunately that doctor or therapist is not friendly to transgender or LGBTQ, whatever it is, wouldn't you want to know ahead of time so you don't waste yes. your value time? Like there's other people out there that will want to support you, serve you, and make sure that you are healthy and happy. You do not, it's 2021. I think we need to really make sure that that conversation is driven. And again, it's easy for me to say that. And I understand that. But I also understand what power there is in you knowing these questions that you can ask this. So you get the phonies out of the way. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, I imagine, you know, not just for myself, but ev everyone in, in our community that knowing that ahead of time, whew, would be a huge weight off of our shoulders and, and sigh of <laughs> relief. Because I mean, my, my experience was I feel like it was pretty small, but just, you know, going to my OBGYN and them asking about birth control. And I remember, you know, the first few times I was like, mm, I don't need it, yeah. <laughs> but not like not feeling comfortable enough to say why. Right. And knowing all, knowing that they are affirming and, you know, that they are allies ahead of time would just make it so much easier to, be, be ourselves and communicate our needs and our fears and, and what we, what we want. Amen. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's true. You know, you really want to make sure that like I talk about our mission being providing clarity and changing healthcare. And what we actually do with our vision is we help healthcare professionals design a modern patient experience. So, you know, with all of this, our, our target clients, they're not patients. I'm sharing this because of my experience in healthcare and I see an opportunity for improvement. I, and I want the doctors, the therapists listening to this to understand that they can design a modern patient experience and all of these different resources are available to them to make sure that they attract the target population that they want to attract and that they actually do a service that provides really, you know, 21st century kind of a modern patient experience because dang it, it's freaking time. I'm sick and tired of hearing all of these horror stories. They really tick me off and I want to make sure that we do something to fix it. So, you know, yes. I, love it. I love your passion, Margarita. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. This is amazing information. Okay. All right. So Margarita, I have another question for you. A Go pandemic ahead. themed question. Are you ready? Oh, I love those. <laughs> so how have policies delayed telehealth advancements and how did that in turn impact our response 
to the pandemic? Ooh, Annie, that's, those are actually really, really good questions. So unfortunately, if you take a look at other industries outside of healthcare, and you look at what happened to them the second that we went into a pandemic, uh, they were prepared in terms of their response because when folks were able to go home in finance and banking in project management, construction management, they were all able to go home and work the projects from mm-hmm. their computers because policies didn't prevent them from implementing the use of telehealth and it didn't prevent them from implementing any form of technological advancements. Unfortunately, there have been specific directives from both CMS and state policies, as well as insurance policies that really were working against providers, practitioners, therapists, in that um, they had kind of like a catch-22. So if you wanted to use a telehealth or teletherapy visit, they had these specific requirements that basically pretty much told that the patient had to not be in their home in order to do a telehealth visit. So many hoops to jump through. It was. It was a lot of hoops. And I think because we continued to go down that path and we didn't ride the train of technological advancement 20, 25 years ago when some of these telehealth laws were actually put into place, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot. And because of that, we were not prepared. So case point, when everybody went home because of COVID from the doctor's offices, it really impacted the way that we responded because um, now all of a sudden we had to figure out how to use telehealth because this was not something that a lot of practices were, you know, implementing. We had to figure out how to uh, implement it into our electronic medical record systems. We had to figure out how to bill for it to the insurance companies. We had to make sure that we wouldn't be paying for it because we may not have been doing the correct um, HIPAA compliance standards. There was so much from a policy perspective that prevented us. And had we really made sure the policies worked with us, then we would not be in this predicament. And I'll tell you one more thing. The problem with, you know, how policies delayed uh, the advancement is the effect on the COVID pandemic is very, very simple. If you take a look at telehealth and teletherapy as they are written in the state licensing boards, a lot of them will have definitions in the legislature of who is allowed to do and perform telehealth. And when you're going to take a look at mental health professionals, for example, you will see that actually the definition does not apply to them. Gosh. And that I think is a really big problem because right now there's a loophole that allows providers and therapists to actually utilize telehealth services because of all the executive orders since we are in a pandemic. And these policies are coming down from both insurance companies, state licensing boards, um, executive orders from the state and executive orders from the federal government. So what do we do when the COVID is over? What are you going to do? Put the genie back in the bottle and tell therapists and doctors, hey, you can't do telehealth services anymore because according to your licensing board, there is no definition of what a telehealth uh, service is for your license type. So that's something we really have to think about. Thank you. You're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> I have another question for you. Uh, yes. it's, it's our last question, but it's, um, you know, it not only affects uh, 
our, my, my main audience, which is LGBTQIA and, and allies, but you know, our, our parents and grandparents and our kids and everyone. So you ready? I am ready. What question should I ask before scheduling an appoint an appointment to avoid surprise medical bills? Ooh. Okay, this is literally my jam right here. <laughs> uh, I feel like I've said that about everything, but um, it's all so, your jam. It's okay, own it. <laughs> yeah, let's let's tell you. So you know, the very first things that we want to make sure is, unfortunately, there's going to be a little bit of homework for the patient. Okay, because my goal is to make sure that we make patients realize that they are consumers. Let's remember that patients are consumers. There's no other in. Okay, rant time, Annie. When you go and buy a phone, what are you? A consumer. When you go and buy a car, what are you? Consumer. When you go and buy a house? Consumer. You're a home buying consumer. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But when you go and look for a doctor or a therapist, what are you? It feels like it's almost reverse, right? We feel like they're doing us a favor. Yeah, yeah. But so explain consumers, to me, for the yes. love of God, how is it that an industry that is nearly 4 trillion percent or a third of our GDP, healthcare, does not recognize that patients are consumers? Mm. There is something fundamentally wrong with that. So I think that what part of the way of doing that is for us to be informed consumers, informed patients, make informed decisions, and informed providers make informed decisions, okay? So... Number one, the patient should definitely ask the doctor or therapist, whoever they are calling, when they are calling to schedule an appointment, they're talking to a front desk, make sure you have your patient ID card in front of you and you ask if that doctor or therapist is in network with, don't just say Aetna if you have Aetna. If you have Aetna HMO, then you say Aetna HMO. If you have Aetna... Um, you know, uh, Medicare HMO, then you say with Aetna Medicare HMO. If you have a Coventry from Aetna, then you say Coventry from Aetna. Make sure you read your card and list all of the identifiers that are going to be your plan and your pro product and your network. So these are essentially different plans. Uh, they have different names. You know, you could be on the PPO network or you could be on the HMO network or the POS network. But unfortunately, when contracts are signed by doctors, they're not always signed for all networks. And even more, they're not always signed for all products. And thus would be kind of the trickle down. So I know I'm kind of throwing a lot of technical jargon at you. <laughs> but I really hope that when folks listen to this, a lot of times when I heard, I would back in the day, you know, when dinosaurs ruled the earth and I used to run a medical practice, I would ask when I would be in the front desk, I would say, hey, what insurance they have? And they would say Aetna. But I didn't know that I needed to have them fig tell me which Aetna. And they didn't know that they needed to tell me which exactly. Aetna. So, you know, and so I say this because I also get the administrative part of the doctors than the front desk because there's a lot on this for them as well. But you need to make sure that you ask which product and plan you have that this doctor and um, the, or therapist, whoever participates in that. Question number two, if you are calling a group provider, you might not know this when you're calling them, 
but ask them anyway. Do all of the providers in this practice and group participate with my blank and blank? So your name of your plan and your product. Why do you think that question is important? Oh gosh, I would just assume every like everyone would be covered, like all of the providers. I mean, I'm guessing that is a, mis- a mistake. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is a mistake. And here's the other side note of it. If you see Dr. Smith and Dr. Smith is going to go on a vacation or he has an emergency and you need to be seen, you're going to be seen by a Dr. Bob. You might not always be aware that Dr. Bob is not in network with your insurance. And surprise, Annie has a bill. Oh. So, and that's not something they would think to they check should. for us? They should tell you. They should. But remember when I say you want to be an informed mm-hmm. consumer? Yes. Make sure that you ask these questions ahead of time. So when they say, hey, Dr. Bob cannot be seeing you, we're going to give you Dr. Smith. Then you say, is he or she in network with my blank and blank? Yes. Because so like that, that five second question will save you so much headache and unexpected bills. And yes, I would much rather ask the question. Absolutely. And, and I'm happy that you feel that way, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good teacher, Margarita. Thank you. And okay, so I have another, I have more stats for you. So unfortunately, we don't have a recent one because the last audit by Medicare and CMS was performed in 2018. But basically, um, something along the lines of under 40 something percent of all provider directories have an error in them. Um, Whether that practice location is not in network the doctor is no longer in that practice location. So what I really hope that you will do is when you, by the way, when you're calling and scheduling an appointment, especially if it's a group practice, you might have one phone number for five different locations. So when you're scheduling your appointment, get them to tell you whether or not Dr. Smith, Dr. Bob, therapist, Susan, whoever is in network with that location. And then the, the next question is going to be, what is the number, uh, I'm sorry, what is the name of the hospital or the outpatient surgical center where the doctor has admitting privileges, where the surgeries and the things are made? Now that you have all of this information, always be sure to write down the name of the person you spoke with, the date you spoke with them, and the time. Put that down, and you will have this information now. You're going to do your QA, quality analysis. You're going to go back to the insurance company, and you're literally going to be asking all of these questions to the insurance company. Because what you don't want happening is you don't want to just trust this because sometimes, believe it or not, providers' offices, they might not be aware that there have been updates to their files with the insurances, and the insurance companies haven't updated the directories, or they were just very old and not outdated, you know? So... The QA is to ask these questions directly from the health insurance company because you want to make sure that, uh, especially the question about the, the location, is Dr. Smith uh, participating in this location for my health plan, okay? Um, and when you ask the insurance companies, you will also ask them for the name of the person you spoke with, the date and the time you spoke with them. But one extra thing, you're going to ask for a reference number for the call. And now, Annie, I threw a lot of questions for you. 
Do you think that I will leave you empty-handed or you think I'm going to have something for you? That was so many. I, I, I know you, Margarita. You're not going to leave us high and dry. So um, if folks go to my website, mkmedicalsolutions.com, on the upper line, uh, there's going to be patient resources. Click on that. And if you just put in your email address, I believe it only asks for your email address, you will be able to download an actual PDF file that is going to list all of the questions that you need to be asking, both from the doctor and from the insurance company. It has spaces for you to write down the information so you keep it all on one sheet of paper. So if and when you have that surprise bill, you could just go back to this document and you could literally use the information to construct your appeal. So I'm not done yet, but what do you think so far? Wow, you are. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, definitely on our website at mkmedicalsolutions.com. So solutions with an S at the end. Um, they could find me on Instagram at mkmedconsultant or margarita, just like spelled like the drink, like the pizza, like the island. Last name is Hosh, K is in Kite, H is in Henry, O is in Oscar, S is in Sam, H is in Henry. So at uh, MK Matt Consultant or Margarita Hosh. Uh, and on my, my uh, Instagram, I have my Linktree account. So if they just click on that, they will be able to get directly rerouted to my uh, LinkedIn, my Twitter, my Facebook all of the stuff and also be able to schedule some time to talk to me if they have additional questions. Oh, perfect. Yes. Yes. So we will have those links. So if you're listening to this, just scroll down and then click uh, and you can be introduced to the world of Margarita. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> so here was our Fun question, Margarita. We always like to throw this one out there. A little off off topic, but what are you watching? Okay, so I am currently watching Shameless. I just discovered this show. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I am obsessed. I uh, may or may not have binged the first season last week. <laughs> and not. And you had mentioned The Undoing. I don't think I've heard of that one. Oh, The Undoing. Yes, that was incredible. Yeah, so see, I binged. I really went past The Undoing. That was a while ago. Um, <laughs> I don't know that one. Who's, um, what's that one about? I, I see that. That one has Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, and it's actually a drama, like a, a, a suspenseful drama. Um, and it's uh, centered around a murder that happens in an affluent community and uh, talks about the lives of the people affected by that murder and follows the life of a family that is intricately connected to that murder. And it is so profoundly acted. It's funny because we see Hugh Grant and we remember him as this funny, goofy guy, right? Right. <laughs> and he delivers. Oh, my God. He, he is very good in this role. It's an incredible show. Very suspenseful. Yeah. Well, I need, I need to check that one out. Um, is there anything left that you would like to share with our audience? We, um, I definitely want to thank you so much for coming on. You've been amazing. I knew that you would over deliver and share with everyone more than, um, more than they bargained for. 
Oh, thank you so much. I think my final points are, you know, so for the providers and the therapists that are listening to this, we get it. You're, you guys have been completely overburdened um, by the system. It's never been created to support you either. It hasn't been created to support anybody, really. Um, I think that there's an incredible opportunity for us to take the lessons from 2020, the trauma from 2020, and really help design and drive a system that works better for everybody. Um, also, you know, for the hospitals that might be listening to this, I really hope that when you guys are implementing electronic medical record systems and policies, that you have champions and make sure your champions are going to be representatives of the LGBTQ community. Make sure that they will have a seat at the table when we're talking about putting out policies and procedures that affect the whole entire hospital. And, you know, the same thing kind of goes for the EMR guys, because you're going to see an influx of treatment for transgender population. And uh, it's not because all of a sudden they exist. Newsflash, they've existed for a while. Like, <laughs> yes, forever. <laughs> but make sure that your EMR will be able to support their services and needs in the templates that you create. So don't assume that if you're going to be marketing to a middle of nowhere location in Texas or Montana, that you're not going to have these patients because you will, because these patients are everywhere. Cause you know, it, we're a global society and we're moving into a more global world. So um, make sure that when decisions are made in implementing EMR and EHR, that they affect champions, the champions have a conversation in it. And uh, to the providers, you know, if you're interested in seeing how you could design a modern patient experience, what that means for your practice, how to expand your practice beyond state lines so you could actually reach an underserved population, especially if you are a therapist who wants to treat a community, an LGBTQ community, and you are a therapist licensed in Texas or in New York, and you want to go into like, you know, Milwaukee or wherever, um, you know, reach out to us. We can help guide you and make sure that you are licensed in those states and we can help you expand your niche and your brand to those communities that really, really could benefit from having your services. So I think that that should be all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so amazing. Thank you, Margarita, so much for coming and spending your time with us today. Uh, wow. Definitely, uh, click on the link, uh, go and follow Margarita, ask some questions and uh, share, share this episode with people that you know need to hear it and um, services, service providers around. Thank you, Margarita. <laughs> Thank All you right. so much. Yes. Uh, and I will be talking to you soon. Of course, we will always stay in touch. <laughs> so here is the quote for today. Love is too beautiful to be hidden in the closet. Thank you once again for listening to the Coming Out Loved and Supported podcast. Please check out the show notes on how to reach out and other great resources for support groups and more. If you haven't heard this today, I love you. And yes, you are enough in all the ways. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are the kind of person that likes to help others, then please share this with friends and family. If it helped you, then it will probably help others. Also, if you're needing support and inspiration daily, then connect with me at Life Coach Annie on Facebook. I am so grateful for you taking the time to listen today. If you could do me a favor, 
please leave a positive review so that more people in the LGBTQ community can find meaningful content that motivates.